Yeah, let, let me start by asking this question. How many of us have actually struggled with this question? Why can't all religions be the same? Or uh, have been asked this by others or have been challenged? Uh, so, how many of us have wrestled with this question? Alright? So maybe those who have not can tell us why not. <laughs> if you really uh, engaged with people who are interested in how their lives connect with each other, friendships, family. I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, not too long ago, maybe well, earlier this month, and uh, we were talking about fixing a meeting to meet, and he said, you know, one of the most challenging things for me to do is to fix common times for us to meet as a family. And I'm like, now, why should that be a problem? I know we are busy people, but why should that be a problem? He said, I mean, he comes from a Hindu home, right? So his parents are Hindu. He's become a Christian. Uh, and they are traditional Indian family. Now, he's married a Chinese. His brother is married a Malay. And uh, his younger sibling has married another Taoist, I think. So, technically for them, they almost always have very interesting dinner meetings. They, they, he talks about this is Singapore and it's blend all over there. But he also says that the one thing we do not talk about over dinner table is uh, which faith is right. Now, why? Because very interestingly, when you talk about what is right, and that's where I want to begin with, <clears throat> in terms of why would anyone struggle with this question? Why should anyone believe that all religions lead to the same God? What compels us to do that? I've spoken to countless number of people on this topic. This is, this is a topic that I'm deeply interested in. And the number one reason is, from a personal perspective, I don't think I'm wrong. Whatever I believe, I don't think I'm wrong. Now, I've spoken to people growing up in India. I've spoken to people who have who've grown up with me for more than two decades. They have no interest in religion or whatever. But the moment they are in this conversation, they suddenly become experts overnight. And, and, and the point is very simply this. I'm not wrong. Now, if I care about someone else, it's the same sentiment... It's just that I'm expressing it by saying, I hope you're not wrong. And that is actually the struggle over here. That when you ask the question, is it really possible for all religions to lead to the same God? We're, we're asking for two things. One, we're asking, do these religions teach the same thing concerning God, human beings, and our interaction? That's one thing. Right? Uh, and typically, we end up concluding, yes, all religion teaches us to be good. And we stop there. Very rarely do we pause to consider, what do we mean by good? Isn't that true? The second is a little more challenging. The second reason is that we step back and we say, ultimately... There should be no difference. So one comes from the expectation of humanity. 
right? We all need to do good. The other is the assumption of the divine. Ultimately, there is only one. And that's where I want to begin with uh, this afternoon. I want to ask the question, is it really possible for religions to be the same? And if it's possible, how then should we lead forward towards it? If it's not possible, what then should we do about it? Is that okay? And as usual, feel free to interject, raise questions anytime as we go along. I'll keep my eye on the clock and make sure that we don't go over in terms of time. Is that alright? So, I'll give you three reasons why people tend to think this way. Alright, and this is because of the kind of conversations I've had, the people I've spoken to. Primarily, it's what I call a posture of misplaced confidence. Why do people think that all religions lead to the same God? It's basically a posture of misplaced confidence. I remember speaking to, uh, mostly these conversations happen when I'm in a cab. I just, you know, raise the question and so on and so forth. I remember having this conversation with this cab driver. And he, he simply said this. If our teachers are really the great people we think they are, they can't create problems for the rest of human beings. We might have problems understanding, but they are saying the same thing. So that's an interesting way to look at it. They are actually saying the same thing. We have a problem. We pick and choose uh, because we want to be better than others. So when you look at all our religious teachers, they have risen above the words of a 36-year-old, Hamid. They have risen above the petty things that we fight about. So, in his view, human beings fight about religion because they are still kind of got their noses stuck in you know, the muck of the ground. But the religious teachers have risen above these petty things and therefore what they are saying, if you really understood what they were saying, they are actually saying... Uh, that all these religions are the same. So there's, in one sense, a confidence uh, misplaced. And he gives, gives the common analogy, you know, surely you know that all these religions lead to the same mountain top. Now, I asked Hamid this question. I said, uh, you're a Muslim, aren't you? He said, yeah, that's my chosen path. Uh, he already knew my name. And without uh, holding back, he said, uh, Philip is a Christian name, so obviously you are following Jesus, but don't worry, uh, Jesus and Muhammad are going to the same place, so you and I will get there as well. <laughs> and I asked him this. I believe Jesus is God, uh, because I believe he says that, uh, and he demonstrates that. Does Muhammad agree? You could have heard a pin drop. He said, that's not the point. I said, tell me, what is? He says, eventually if you follow Jesus, and if I'm following the way of the Quran, uh, we'll get to the same God. We worship the same God. And he, he quotes from the Quran and says, you know, God says, or we, we worship the you know, same God. I have not sent you anything that I've sent 
uh, to anyone else differently. What I've sent to the Jews is what I've sent to the Christians is what I'm sending to you. I'm not teaching you anything new and so on and so forth. I happened to have read a little bit of the Quran, so I was able to interact with him. And then I said this to him. But is it possible for me to believe Jesus is God and get to the same place as you are? He said, I don't think so. Then I said this. Let me think about this carefully. Your confidence is that our religious leaders have risen to this point and they are saying to us uh, that all this is the same, but we seem to have a problem because we are still getting stuck with the things of, uh, you know, the meager things of life. So we have to rise. But if Jesus Christ and the Prophet Muhammad got together, would they agree with each other about themselves and what they have said? And the answer is no. So I said to him, you have to be careful because what you are doing is masking your arrogance as a second posture. It's a posture of masked arrogance. I said this to him. Actually, what you are saying to me, Hamid, is that you know more than Jesus and Muhammad put together to say that they are wrong, but you are right. Now think about this. Buddhism, uh, as a faith, was born rejecting Hinduism. Right? Siddhartha Gautama was born a, Buddha, born a Hindu. He was born in uh, a palace as a Hindu. Grew up in very comfortable circumstances, stepped out of that comfort zone, did not like what he saw outside, asked for answers to the hard questions to his uh, Vedic teachers. There was no answers coming forth from the Vedas because the Vedas is structured very clearly, giving you a framework of the caste system and uh, so on and so forth. So Siddhartha Gautama rejected two of the core tenets of Hinduism. He rejected the Vedas. And he rejected the caste system, stepped out of Hinduism, and that journey out of Hinduism to find an answer to his questions of the deep issues of life is what eventually, today, centuries later, we practice in different forms as Buddhism. So will Siddhartha Gautama and Krishna agree that they're talking about the same thing? Well, the answer is no. Well, if they agreed, then you wouldn't have Buddhism, you would only have Hinduism. If Muhammad agreed with Jesus, you wouldn't have Islam, you would have only Christianity. And so on and so forth. Even the most inclusivistic faith on the face of the earth, the Baha'i faith, insists that you come into the Baha'i faith to be accepted. They will accept Jesus as long as Jesus fits into that system. They will accept Krishna as long as Krishna fits in that system. And so on and so forth. The moment you decide to stand outside, you're not accepted. And this is something very important for us to understand. When someone says, aren't you being arrogant to claim that you are right and others are wrong, that one religion is true, the others are not true, the point is not whether I am arrogant or not. The point is actually arrogance lies when I, looking at all religions, whether I understand it or not, or assuming things of religions say that they are the same. When their founders themselves do not agree. Am I making sense? So in one sense, you have this posture of misplaced confidence 
And on the other hand, you have this posture of masked arrogance. But then that's not the problem of the common person. The common person, I have come to realize, has a very different problem, and that is the problem of misplaced trust. A couple of years ago, I was doing a very similar seminar, uh, Can All Religions Lead to the Same God? We were doing it in Suntech City. And so, I was just trying to get some fresh thoughts into my presentations. I normally do that when I'm traveling, if I have a seat or whatever. So I was sitting in the train, uh, starting from Pasaris, and I was going to <coughs> Pioneer for a meeting. So, well, got a lot of time, right? So I opened my laptop, I typed this question out. That's all. I just have this question on my screen. Uh, why can't all religions be the same? And I just leave it. And I'm staring at that screen, trying to think through it stuff I'd like, oh, that's, that's basically how I operate, I'd like a piece of paper or something to look at and just consider the idea, you know, staring me in the face. Can't remember where, but this, this person had got in, he came and sat next to me, he looked at the screen, looked at me, and after a brief couple of minutes of awkward silence, he then kind of leaned forward, looked at me and says, why not? I think they should. Alright, great. Shut my laptop and says, Tell me, uh, how is it possible? So, he takes on this posture of a deeply learned person, and I'm sure he's well read because he, he was asking me questions which I don't think the average uh, person would know if he's not interested in these subjects. He, said, he looks at me and says, You're an Indian, right? So I said, Yes. Shouldn't you know these things? As if being an Indian guarantees that you will know the answer to every question on, on planet Earth. Um, I said, I didn't understand. He said, have you read Mahatma Gandhi's My Experiment with Truth? Um, he's easily in his mid-60s or early 70s, uh, extremely uh, well-read, I would think, uh, Chinese gentleman. And I was a little surprised that he was quoting uh, Mahatma Gandhi and my experiments were the truth. And I said, yes, I've read it. And then he said this. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but this is, this is what Gandhi says in his uh, book, My Experiments with the Truth. He says, ultimately, we will realize that all religions lead to the same God if only we begin to appreciate it from the vantage point of the devotee. And he said that. He said, haven't you read this? I said, I have, and I said, that's my problem. Is it truly possible that you and I can interpret world religions from the vantage point of the devotee? Shouldn't we look at our faith systems, our religious systems, from the vantage point of its founders? Now, Isaiah walked in and he asked me this question. Uh, is it okay uh, if I record? I said no. Now, he didn't even pause to ask me what I said no for. He said thank you and he starts recording. <laughs> so I, I said, wait a minute. What did you understand that no to be? <laughs> well, you said no, so no problem, I'm going to record. <laughs> Gandhiji was a brilliant politician, amazing man. 
he had his uh, fair share or his rum with the Christian worldview as he was in London and then he had an, a further experience as he was in South Africa. He came to India and he led the freedom movement. Very good friends with uh, Christians. In fact, one of his closest companions was a reverend. Uh, he always walked around with the New Testament, so on and so forth. Famous for having said, uh, I love their Christ, but I hate their Christians. So on and so forth. But he is not an expert on world religions. The problem of misplaced trust. How would you like it if I stood up and if you asked me, Joseph, what have you done? And uh, I say, you know, my first master's was in prawn biology. And uh, have you heard that there is a discipline called prawn biology? Do you at least know that prawns have biology? <laughs> they do. And we're talking about this and then suddenly you say, I've got a serious pain in my neck. It's been, it's been something that's bothering me for many years. I said, you know, my specialization was the nervous system of the prawn. Come on, let me help you. <laughs> Would you be happy for, for your neck to be in my hands? I specialized in prawn biology. And one of my key areas of work was the nervous system of the prawn. Obviously, I can help you with your neck, right? Would you place your neck in my hands? We wouldn't. Then why is it when it comes to something so central, core, foundational, for how it is that humanity actually functions, understands themselves, understands each other, and we've got such polarizing views that we are prepared to say, well, you're an expert on that area, so obviously what you're saying goes for everything else. The posture of misplaced trust. World religions should be studied from the vantage point of its founder. It's got a core set of doctrines from the vantage point of its doctrines. If it's got a text from the vantage point of what the text says and so on and so forth. It's tradition, it's, it's faith practices, not from wishful thinking. I deeply desire for all of this to be the same, as much as I desire for Bill Gates' bank balance and mine to be the same. <laughs> it wouldn't take me very far, would it? In fact, if I try to act on that, I might get myself into trouble if I want to get my bank balance to look like Bill Gates's. So we need to set the record straight. World religions are all on divergent paths. They don't converge. In fact, there's nothing in these world religions that come together saying, even, even if we talk about doing good, uh, I'll give you a simple example. You take something like the golden rule. We know that, right? The one about love and all of that, the golden rule. Just Google the golden rule and look at how the different religious traditions tell you what the golden rule is. For example, if you look at the golden rule from the vantage point of Confucianism, it would say something like this. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Heard that before? That's like basically saying, well, I don't want you to punch me in the face, so I'm not going to punch you. What does Jesus say? He says the exact opposite. 
He does not tell you to avoid one another. He tells you to invest your life into the other. He says, do unto others what you would like them to do unto you. Is this the same? It's not. I mean, a simple thing that all these faiths fundamentally teach us to do good, that falls off the railings the moment you ask the question, what do you mean by good? And how am I to aspire to do that? Well, if I'm a Christian, I'm a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, I'm compelled to go the extra mile for your sake. I need to not only do it, I need to do it willingly. I need to invest myself in doing that for you because I'm called to love. That's doing good. But if I have Buddhists, I will have to walk away from you. That is doing good. I remember this speaking to a friend of mine, Hindu, and we were talking about this issue of doing good. And I said to him, how do you tell me this? Do you really believe that we are all called to do the same thing as good? He's a very well-read Hindu. He's studied his subject. He knows what he's talking about. And he says, uh, Joe Snow. And he says this to me. If you are a Kshatriya, which is a warrior, your duty is to fight. Which means the only way you can do good is if you fight. So I asked him, you're telling me that there is no place for me to do good as a pacifist if I were a Kshatriya. And he says, you're right. How can I bring these two together? Is it possible? We're talking about a very simple thing. We're not talking about the foundational aspects of what these religions are actually claiming and so on and so forth. We, we're talking about this very simple thing that all of us believe. We say we're doing good, right? Who defines? So we need to set the record straight, and that is very simply this. Religions, at its core, are fundamentally different. There is no way, there is no way, hear me carefully. This happened just three days ago, uh, speaking to a family in which the Son and the daughter-in-law are Christian, the rest of the family are Buddhist, and the two brothers are having this conversation. And uh, they basically ended up saying, it does not matter, just do what you want to do. You don't convert me, I'm not going to compel you, you just do what you want to do. We can live happily under the same roof. And I said, that's a great thing, as long as you're giving each other space. And he says, but the problem is not that we are giving space, the problem is why we are giving each other space. So I said, what is the problem? He says, the problem is that we have come to conclude that irrespective of what we do, as long as we are faithful to our own religious systems, uh, we will be blessed. So I said, what do you mean by we will be blessed? He said, we will get uh, the same thing at the end. So then I asked him this question. The ultimate goal of Buddhism is nirvana, right? If you're a faithful Buddhist, uh, follow the 
uh, you know, agree with the Four Noble Truth and follow the Eightfold Path, you do that to the best of your ability and you grow in, in, in engaging with that and dealing with it well, uh, so it affects your life and you, you truly changed and you live that way, you attain Nirvana. So I said, the, the final goal is Nirvana, right? He said, yes. The final goal of uh, a Muslim is paradise. Right? You, you live your life in such a way, you follow the Shahada and so on and so forth. Good deeds uh, in many ways outweigh your bad and if that finds favor with Allah, you will find yourself in paradise. So don't worry about the, the nuts and bolts of how you do it. Uh, you will be rewarded. So I asked him this question. Go and ask your brother this and send me a note. I said, is it possible for you to be a faithful Buddhist and attain paradise? Did you get the question? Is it possible? Because just be faithful to your own systems, right? Just do what you're told to do. And eventually, it will all even out. So here's the question. Is it possible for me to be a faithful Buddhist and end up in paradise? What do you think? Have you heard the question? Uh, what happens to those who don't know Jesus? Are they going to hell? Now, how, why is that a problem and the of the flesh and this not? Can I be a faithful Muslim and attain mukti? Mukti is the goal of Hinduism. You can't. Every religious system is intricately interwoven beginning to end. What it has to offer, what you're called to do, and how you're called to live within that system, they are all so neatly tied together for in fact, the two oldest systems that are at, at odds with each other, Hinduism and Buddhism, there is no place in Hinduism for Buddhism. There is no place in Buddhism for Hinduism in its classical sense. Of course, yes, as we kind of move out, we can try to homogenize these things, but that is not being faithful to the religious systems. So here's my conclusion to us. To claim that all religions lead to the same God is either arrogance or ignorance dressed up as tolerance. And we need to understand this. A proposition cannot be arrogant. A person can be. When I make a statement, all religions do not lead to the same God, the statement is either true or false. It cannot be polite or arrogant. I, the one making this statement, I can be polite or arrogant. Arrogance or politeness or gentleness, they are not properties of propositions. They are merely how a person expresses himself or herself. So we need to understand the difference between the arrogance of someone making claims and the truth or falsehood of the claim being made. And so when we say something like all religions lead to the same God, it's either ignorance or 
arrogance because I'm claiming to know more than every other religious leader put together to say that they are wrong and I'm right. It's either ignorance or arrogance that's disguised or dressed up as tolerance. And we need to learn to navigate out of that. I know it's hard because we don't want to be wrong. But just because we don't want to be wrong does not make it right. Does this make sense? So where do we go from now? My suggestion is very simply this. Seek to know what is true. If anyone wants to answer the question, they need to seek to know what is true. In fact, every religious system, if you go to the very core of it, if you ask the question, how was this founded, it is always a quest to know what is true. How can we claim to be faithful followers of a religious system or any system if we are not seeking to be true? To seek to be true not to be right. Because if I want to be perceived as right, I can masquerade and present what I want to present in such a way that it gets your approval. And that's an easy thing to do. If I'm seeking to know what is true, then it demands that I expose my own inadequacies when I don't know. It, ex it demands that I acknowledge my prejudices when I have a preference. <clears throat> It pushes me to consider the truth above all. Right? So that's the first thing that I would think we should consider, that we seek to know what is true. And beyond that, to learn to acknowledge what the heart longs for. There are two ways to approach this question. One, you just look at the core tenets of the religious faith. That's one way to do it, and it calls for uh, time and study. There's another way to do it. Every faith system has a prayer. Isn't it? Just look at the prayers. What you learn from those prayers are incredible. I'll give you an example. Uh, Hinduism. There's this prayer which says, uh, it's actually the oldest uh, part of uh, the Vedic documents. Uh, you, you find this. It says, lead me from darkness to light. Lead me from untruth to truth. Lead me from death to life. I think that's a brilliant uh, prayer. There's only one problem. Now, Hinduism, at its very core, believes that all reality uh, is unified by the reality of God. Which means eventually, everything is God. All these differences are just uh, lower level manifestations or illusions. So here's the question. When you pray, lead me from darkness to light, who is praying to whom? If you and the one you're speaking to is God, who is praying to whom? If everything, ultimately, in the reality is God, what is darkness, what is light? What is truth, what is untruth? What is death, what is life? Well, the human heart longs for answers to these questions and it wants the answers to be real, tangible, workable, but would that worldview help you? It wouldn't. 
not too long ago, I was speaking at a conference in, um, in Johor. Uh, so I finished my meeting. Um, the group was, you know, it was sent into smaller groups to discuss or something. So I just went to get myself a coffee. On my way back, it was, it is a large place and uh, easy to get lost. So I was kind of think through my, you know, my return and says, okay, I turn left, I turn right. And so I headed in the general direction where I came from. Uh, and I knew I was getting back to where I wanted to be because I heard, heard singing, familiar song. Uh, but when I got closer, I was shocked by what I was hearing. The tune was extremely familiar, but here's what the word says. Allah loves me, this I know, for the Quran tells me so. <laughs> I actually heard that, so I stepped into the hall and I, I was looking at what was happening, just, just casual observant. Intrigued me, no end. So I asked, kind of got to know some of the organizers and asked them this question. I'm really intrigued where the song comes from. Uh, can you can you point me to the surah or the hadith that 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 speaks of God as love? And we had this conversation back and forth, and then he finally said this to me on the day we were leaving. Uh, or he he knew I was speaking at the other camp and so on and so forth. The day he was leaving, uh, yeah, we just borrowed and copied and changed words. But the point is this. The point is, there is a longing within the human heart. We all express that longing one way or another. The only thing we need to be careful about, and it's very important we do that, we don't end up hanging our longings or the longings of our heart on the peg of wishful thinking. We can't afford to do that. The longing of the human heart is real. The question is, what's going to fulfill that? You see, when you consider Jesus, you will begin to see that He alone has offered a relationship. You can read through every religious text, uh, every exhortation. But the one thing that you will not find intrinsic to any religious system except the Judeo-Christian worldview is relationship. Now, we come to God for many things. We come to God for what we need. We come to God for what we should be spared and so on and so forth. But, but at the very core, the deepest longing of the human heart is not to accumulate or to accomplish, but to belong. And the only place where you have space to belong, ultimately to God, and uh, through that journey with each one, is in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who said, I have come. Everybody else says, you come. And we know there are many things that we can't do on our own. And that's why we need God. And actually, that's why most atheists or naturalists would say, God is a crutch. Because you can't do it. You're looking for, uh, for an external source. And you can create that model of God as a crutch. We'll deal with that later if we need to. 
but you can't really respond to the longing of the human heart by just imagining that those needs are met. It will help you for a while, but eventually you will move on, either dismissing that longing, suppressing it, and then moving into a place of depression, or fulfilling it uh, haphazardly, all the while getting even more bitter as the days go by. When you come to Jesus, and I tell people this, <clears throat> if you're looking to really find an answer to the question, or are all religions the same, and if you don't have the bandwidth to study every religion to the T for all its worth, my recommendation is start with Jesus. Why? It's very simple. You just look at the general view of things and you'll know that these religions are saying different things. They're claiming different things for themselves. If that's the case, then start with something that's easy to dismiss if it was untrue. And I always offer this as a contrast between Hinduism and Jesus Christ. Why? Because the ultimate goal of Hinduism is that you will become one with the infinite non-personal entity, and the way you do it is that you get reincarnated, right? So, how can you test this, whether it works or it doesn't? Well, it's a very simple thing. You die and you'll be reincarnated. But what if you die and you, and you are not reincarnated? So that's kind of a little difficult to test, right? The only faith system that you can actually dismiss if it were not true, is a Christian faith, because testing that faith doesn't depend on your death. Testing that depends on Jesus' death. Very simple question. Did Jesus exist? Well, history seems to think that Jesus of Nazareth existed. Alright, we can go to the next question. Did Jesus of Nazareth die? History seems to think that Jesus of Nazareth died by being crucified on the cross. Alright, let's go to the next one. What happened? to him after he died. History seems to think that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on the cross by Jewish instigation and Roman edict, buried in a public tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. Three days later, the tomb was found empty. Now that's reason enough, I would think, to pause and consider. Now, if Jesus is true, that he indeed is God. I don't think you need to look any further. If he's not, you've got one less problem to deal with. And I think that's a fair place to start. Don't you think? You see, at the end of the day, you and I are free to enjoy this journey of life if we know where we are going and how to get there. Otherwise, with every turn you take, there will always be a lingering question of, am I in the right place? How far do I need to go? Will I get home? <clears throat> Religions are mutually exclusive. They don't lead to the same God. In fact, they don't even offer the same God. 
And if you want to try to arrive at the truth, and if you are sincere about doing that, I would suggest start with Jesus. Because if it was not true that Jesus is God, it's the easiest to dismiss. If it's true that he indeed is, and if you affirm that, then you need not worry where else to go. Thank you. You've been patient.